0: Listening to From the Friars Podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God, for you are subject to the same condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He he replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus my brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you his peace. Amen. Welcome. Bienvenidos. I had mass earlier today at a parish and there was a screaming baby the whole mass and I blew out my voice. I'm <laughs> a little raspy. Uh, I don't smoke cigarettes. Okay. <laughs> um, Como se dice. Long live Christ the King in Espanol. Viva or vivo? Viva. Vivo Cristo Rey. Viva. You know love live Christ the King. Um, so I know it's it's inappropriate for a priest to preach politics from the pulpit, so I'm not doing that today. But on this day, Christ the King, I think of, you know, the Cristeros in, in Mexico, they would live They would yell, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King, because the government was so corrupt and persecuting everybody. And there was the image of the priest, Blessed Miguel Pro, and the government, they thought they'd make an example of him. So he had his arms out holding a rosary, kind of cruciform. They took a photo right before they shot him and killed him. And they promoted the photo as a way to kind of intimidate everybody. And he yelled out, long live Christ the King, right before he was martyred. And Of course, it completely backfired because everybody loves that photo now. It's so inspiring, so encouraging, such a witness, those martyrs, it's amazing. So long live Christ the King, Christ the King. What an interesting feast day. You know, it's somewhat of a new feast day, I think somewhere around 1925. And um, it's so interesting. All the different feast days of the church focus our attention on some aspect of the Lord, some aspect of the mystery of redemption and here at the very end of the liturgical year when with the church is focusing us on the end times and and what waits for us on the other side in heaven we have christ the king and uh it's so it's so interesting christ the king i thought wouldn't it be appropriate if i came into mass and uh, i was wearing crowns and you would carry me on a chair and we'd have incense and maybe horses with fancy uh, bridles okay but Jesus didn't come in like that, did he? So, okay, no, he came in humble. Okay. A humble king. So Christ the King, what an interesting day. And you know, it kind of tickles me every year celebrating this feast day here in America because we we have some baggage in our culture, don't we? Our whole country began by rejecting a king. No taxation without representation. Remember that? you know it's like we re, we rejected the king and um, I, I'm so happy one of the brothers is here on retreat brother Peter uh, one of the brothers who grew up in England one of our you know brothers and uh, I'll never forget years ago when we did some fraternal days fraternal days is when the friars go away to do something fun just to strengthen the brotherhood we stayed with my cousins in Boston I have cousins who. Have incredible gift of hospitality and we took uh the brothers including brother peter we went to the little harbor there in boston and we had lipped in tea bags so we threw the tea in there remember that brothers my apologies that was such a jerk move but uh so here we are we're in america we've got this baggage about we don't like kings and we don't you know like kingships and um so we need to like step aside a little bit from that cultural reference. Um, it reminds me of another story. When I was in college, I was at Franciscan University of Steubenville. And in my day, the, the wonderful Father Mike Scanlon was the president. He's now deceased, but probably will be a saint someday. And he told us a story I'll never forget. He told us when he was younger, he had gone to Ireland for Holy Week. Is anybody here Irish? Anybody from Ireland? Okay, welcome, welcome. So my dad's side has some Irish heritage. This story is by no means making fun of Irish people, okay? So Father Mike told us the story of being in Ireland for um, the Holy Week. And you know, in many cultures, they do the passion play. And they have that beautiful passion play. And uh, he tells the story of the scene when Jesus comes before Pontius Pilate, and the actor steps into the light, and he's got a big red ginger beard. And Pilate says to him, well, are you a king? And Jesus replies, are you saying that of yourself? Have others been telling you? <laughs> it sounded a little bit like the leprechaun from Lucky Charms, right? So that's your favorite cereal, isn't it, Lucky Charms? No, okay. And uh, so Father Mike would share that story with us. as just kind of like a little example. Like we need to have the ability to understand that sometimes uh, we have ways of thinking and understanding the Lord that it's conditioned by our culture. So here we have this cultural thing about Jesus and kings and we you know couldn't he just be like elected to be president or something? no, no, he's not he's the king. Um, so in the liturgy, particularly in the first reading and in the psalm, we have reference to David. For the Jewish people, whenever they heard the king, they immediately thought of King David. So about a 1,000 years before Jesus, in the history of salvation, you have David becoming the king, uniting the 12 tribes. And the Lord made promises to David regarding his dynasty, his lineage, the promises of God to David. And scholars have pinpointed that it's this moment that began the idea for the Jewish people that the Lord God would be sending a messiah, an anointed leader, a Christ, who would be in the lineage of King David, and that he would be the Savior. So all of those those prophecies and the expectation of the Jewish people that God would send a Messiah, a Christ, it began with the promises made to David the King. And we know this from history that at the time of Jesus, the expectation that the Messiah would come was very strong. And as a matter of fact, there were others in that time who did come forward to proclaim that they were the Messiah and they all got killed and they stayed killed. (laughs) But then we come to the Lord. Remember the angels told mother Mary and Joseph and the shepherds in the field when he was born, he would be the son of David the Messiah, the Anointed One, but not to vanquish the, the Romans or the foreign oppressors, but rather to, to deliver us from something much deeper, and that is sin and the devil, to conquer evil, and indeed, to conquer death by his resurrection. A freedom, a liberation, a deliverance on a whole nother level. How amazing, how amazing Christ the King And you know, in the Gospel of John, he really highlights Jesus with the crown of thorns. You know, in the soldiers, the passion, they mocked his kingship. Remember, they dressed him in purple royal and the crown of thorns, and they mocked him, hail, king of the Jews. And in the Gospel of John, when he's on the cross, the cross is his throne. He's reigning from the throne of the cross. It's so interesting, this theme of his kingship. This royalty. And you know, in the Romans, the way they would crucify people, it was almost like they made you into a billboard. They would, you know, strip you naked and nail you to the cross where everybody could see you. And they would put a a sign that said the name of your crime. And that was their way of saying, don't do this, or this is how you will end up. And for Jesus, we're told his crime was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they said it in three languages so that everybody could understand. Um, Christ the king, king on the cross. And um, so the question is, What what is this kingship? We know in the preaching of Jesus, he often made reference to this thing that he would call the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Even in the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But what is this kingdom? Is there a place on the map where we can point to it? Or if like, if you came here from Easton today, you saw a big sign that said, welcome to New Jersey, the garden state. And it's not like that at all. There is no place you can point to on the map because his kingdom isn't a territory. It's more like a movement. It's in the heart. He's the king of hearts. He invites us to a relationship with him and to, we would allow his word to be the light that guides our path in this life. You know, in modern living, we have so many voices competing for our attention, different ideas, different opinions about everything. In the midst of all of that, the church proclaims that Jesus is the king and he is our king means he's our Lord. It means that we look to him. We look to his gospel, his teaching to guide us. It's a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom of goodness it's a kingdom of mercy and of love, and he, he, he leads us. We follow him. It's beautiful, actually. It's really something revolutionary, truly revolutionary, and it's a kingdom of the conscience. You know, Jesus the king, he doesn't have soldiers that he sends to make sure everybody's following the rules. No, rather, it's an appeal to the formation of the conscience by his word, that we may know what is right and wrong, what is good and pleasing and holy, and how God expects us to to try to live, to struggle against sin and evil. With the help of his grace, we make our progress. It's really something. But you know, as I was praying over this feast day today, and I thought, Christ the King, what an interesting feast day. I thought, what readings of the Bible would be appropriate for this feast day? And I thought of so many different passages in the Bible that talk about the kingship. And lo and behold, we're given this strange passage where the church places before us today the story of Jesus' death on the cross. And it highlights for us the fact that there were the two thieves with him. And it's so interesting. The good thief has this moment where he sees Jesus next to him. They're both dying. And he sees Jesus hanging on the cross. People are saying to Jesus, if you're the king, save yourself. And uh, the prophet Isaiah had had a vision of Jesus on the cross. And he tells us he was so beaten, he was so marred that he no longer looked like a man. He was unrecognizable. And the good thief sees this. He sees what appears to be a tremendous failure. He sees what looks like defeat Jesus is dying and it's in this moment that he says to the Lord a shocking act of faith Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom how in the world would he be inspired to say that it was a grace of the Holy Spirit. And my favorite commentator on this moment is St. Augustine. And in St. Augustine's comment, uh, commentary on this moment, he talks about that question. He asks it, how could this man say this in this moment? Um, And he talks about all of the moments that were told in the gospel when Jesus looked upon people with a look of love, and he he theorizes that this this, uh, thief looks over into the eyes of Jesus, into his face, and he sees the face of God. He sees the look of love, the one who loves us more than anyone. And St. Augustine says, in that moment of that look of love, he learned everything. In this proclamation, in this act of faith, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The church places this moment before us today, this feast of Christ the King, and it's almost as if the church wants us to remember what's waiting for us when we die, when we close our eyes in this world and open them in the next. We don't become one with some vague cosmic soup. <laughs> you know, What's waiting for us is a face. It is the face of God. It is the face of Jesus, the face of our King who looks upon us with so much love. Here in a moment at the altar, I'll be praying Eucharistic prayer too. And there's a line in that prayer, which is one of my favorite lines in the whole liturgy. We're praying for those who've died. And at that moment, I pray, welcome them into the light of your face. The face of Jesus, the face of God, the face of our King, the face that is the first thing we will see when we die. The face of our Savior, Of our Lord, of our Redeemer, the face of our Creator, the face of the one who loves us more than anyone. How beautiful. What a fitting way to end the liturgical year. As we look back and give thanks to all of the graces, all of the trials and the struggles and the sufferings, but all of the graces that we've come through, as we prepare to begin a new year in the Lord next Sunday, we give thanks to the Lord, Christ our King. We may. Um, follow him. We may um, allow him to guide us in this life. His word would be a light in the darkness to show us the way. Amen.